I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to the second chapter of Luke's Gospel. Uh, Luke chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 20 this Lord's Day. And uh, if you haven't been with us in recent weeks, uh, we're studying through the Gospel of Luke. We've covered the first chapter, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, the first chapter is a, a chapter of pronouncements, of revelations from God. Uh, leading up to Luke chapter 1, there were 400 years of silence from God, where no word was given to his people uh, through the prophets. But here we see that silence is broken, and it's broken through uh, two specific revelations that are given, two specific words about events that were to come. Both of them came through an angel sent by God, whose name was Gabriel. And so the first revelation came to Zechariah, who was an aging priest, who had the opportunity of a lifetime to serve in the temple. And it was during that opportunity that Gabriel speaks to him and tells him that his, his barren and aging wife, Elizabeth, would have a son. And that that son would be John, and that John would be one who would prepare the way for the Lord. And not long after that, we see Gabriel then give a revelation, a, a word to a young virgin named Mary. He tells Mary, who at the time is betrothed, she's engaged to a man named Joseph, that uh, she would be pregnant, she would be with child, a child conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then as we got towards the end of chapter 1, we see the fruition of that first word, that first revelation, and the birth of John, and now in the beginning of chapter 2, uh, we see the fruition of that second word. But it wasn't a word that was just given to Mary. It was a word, a promise that was given by God throughout the Old Testament. In Isaiah, as we read earlier, in Genesis chapter 3, through the mouths of prophets throughout the ages, God had spoken of the coming of his Messiah, the one who would save the people from their sins. And that is where we find ourselves now in God's word, Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 20, and out of reverence for his word, if you're able to, I want to invite you to stand as I read this passage for us. We stand because this is the holy word of God that has been handed down to us and preserved through generations, and this is what God says through his servant Luke. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you 
is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And the angels went away from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. If you would pray with me. Father, I pray that the shepherd's response to this angelic word and to seeing there, beholding there, the birth of Christ, I pray that their response would be our response. I pray, God, that, that we would be filled with wonder and awe as we consider what has taken place in order that we might have peace with you. I pray, God, that our response to your word this morning would be to glorify you and to praise you. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We've all heard the expression that there are two things in life that are certain, death and taxes. Uh, but you can really add another thing to that list. You could say there are three things in life that are certain, death, taxes, and war. Uh, when you study the history of mankind, you find that there have been approximately 11,000 wars in recorded history. In fact, in a number of studies I read, I found the same statistic that in the past 3,400 years, humans have only been entirely at peace for 268 years. That's about 8% of recorded history. In the 20th century alone, at least 108 million people were killed in wars. And here we see estimates that the total number killed in wars throughout all of human histories ranges anywhere from 150 million to 1 billion. Since the founding of our own nation, out of the nearly 250 years that, that we have existed as the United States of America, we've only had about 15 years of peace. The 15 years where we've not been involved or engaged in a war someplace in the world. And yet in the midst of all these statistics and all these wars and all these battles, there's always been this, con this consistent attempt at peace. Organizations that want world peace, nations that pursue peace with one another. In fact, another statistic I read was this that in the last 400 years alone, the Western world has entered into 8,000 different peace treaties. 
but it probably doesn't surprise you to know that those treaties don't last. In fact, the average length of time any of them last is about two years. <laughs> and yet it is in this world filled with conflict and battle and wars that the God of all creation has sent his son, Jesus Christ, and whose birth was celebrated, we see in Luke chapter 2, with the proclamation, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And this world, with wars raging even now as I preach, God has sent Jesus to us that we might have peace on earth. And yet, when it comes to battle and war, we see a lack of peace. And so it's important for us to understand what, what is the peace that God is speaking to us about in his word? What, what is the, the everlasting peace that is prom promised by prophets of old? What, what does it mean that Jesus, then, is the prince of peace for those who follow him? Well, that's what I want us to consider this morning. There is much to be learned in Luke chapter 2, but I really want to focus our attention to verse 14, to that proclamation and praise from the heavenly hosts. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. How does Jesus bring us peace? How did Jesus bring peace to those who heard this proclamation and witnessed his birth? And that's what we're going to consider as we walk through God's word today. And we'll begin there with the first point in, in your outline. Number one, we see that Jesus offers peace in uncertain times. And he offers peace in uncertain times. And we certainly find as we consider the, the historical details that Luke gives us in this passage, that this was a, a very uncertain time for God's people. We begin in chapter two with that first verse where we read, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, all the world here is a reference to uh, the large part of the world at that time that was governed by the Roman Empire. And we see that the leader of Rome at that time here was Caesar Augustus. Now, Caesar Augustus was born uh, Octavian, and Octavian was the, the great nephew of Julius Caesar. But uh, after Caesar's death, which we all learn about, as we study history, uh, Caesar Augustus, Octavian, was named his heir. Even though he was his great nephew, he was declared at that moment to be his son, to be his heir. And at that moment, he was no longer known as Octavian. He received the name Caesar. And in addition to the name Caesar, it was the Roman Senate that gave him the title Augustus. Uh, Augustus means holy and revered. And up until that time, it was a title that was reserved exclusively for the gods. But it was during this time that strides were made by the Romans to declare all of the Caesars to be gods. In fact, at the time that Luke penned his gospel, there were Greek cities in Asia Minor that were seeking to adopt Caesar's birthday. September 23rd is the first day of the new year because they, they hailed him as their savior. They believed that Caesar was the savior of the world. In fact, when Caesar Augustus eventually died, people were comforted because they didn't believe he actually had died, because gods can't die. This was the context, this, this was the culture 
that existed during the days when Jesus was born. And so you can imagine what this was like for the Jewish people. Uh, this was an uncertain time for them because they were living under the, the promise that God had given long ago to Abraham. This promise that they would dwell in a land that would be fruitful, that would be theirs. And yet now we find them, as we open up the Gospels, living under Roman rule paying taxes to the Romans, living under the rule and authority of men like Caesar Augustus, who declared themselves to be gods. And so you can imagine what it would have been for the true followers of God to, to live under the rule of people who declared themselves to be God and who demanded to be worshipped as a god. And then this also fell at a time when God had been silent to his people. Now that 400 years of silence have been broken, but think of how it was broken. It was broken through an angel speaking to Zechariah in the temple, through an angel speaking to a young virgin named Mary. It was not broken through this angelic revelation going out to all the people. And so the people as a whole still existed in this day when Caesar ruled and when they had no word from God. Their prophets were silent. And the promises of God had not come to fruition. And so this was a great time of uncertainty for God's people. I think it was a time of uncertainty for Joseph and Mary as well. And we've seen in Luke's gospel, we also see in Matthew's gospel, that Joseph and Mary both received a, a word from the Lord. They were betrothed. They were engaged to be married. As we've talked about before, one of the purposes for this betrothal period was to ensure that the bride-to-be was not pregnant, that she indeed was a virgin, and yet it is during this very time that Mary becomes pregnant with a child conceived by the Holy Spirit. As she assumes then that, that Joseph will want to divorce her. Joseph himself is planning on putting her away quietly, but, but God gives him a word just as he had given a word to Mary. And so they indeed now will be married. They will move forward. They both received this revelation from God, but the people as a whole had not received a revelation from God. And so we've talked about how the, the culture in this context would have viewed Joseph and Mary. And they would have seen Joseph and Mary as being involved in an immoral relationship. Or perhaps, maybe not Joseph, but someone involved in an immoral relationship with Mary. And then for Joseph to, to keep this betrothal, to keep this legally binding agreement to Mary, the suspicion would have been that this indeed was his child. They would have been scorned. And they would have been talked about by everybody in their community. And this certainly was a very uncertain time for them. And it is during this time that Luke tells us that this census was ordered. And I think this census came at a good time for them because perhaps it gave them an opportunity to, to pull away from that community of scorn and shame. And yet, there would still be great uncertainty for them. We read in verse 4 that Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. This was no short trip for Joseph and Mary. We know from the context here that, that Mary is very far along in her pregnancy. Now, this trip would have been about 90 miles as the crow flies about the distance from Bloomfield to Cincinnati. <laughs> but they didn't take an Uber. <laughs> they didn't get in a car. They didn't take a train. 
and they traveled in large part likely by foot. Even though we see the the, the cards that we'll get at Christmas and, and Mary seated on the donkey, there's no mention of that in the scripture. And so this would have been a long, laborious travel for both of them, a time of great uncertainty, a time where surely they would have been wondering, where will this child be born? And what's going to come of our family? And yet Luke's gospel reminds us that it was during this time of great uncertainty for Joseph and Mary, great uncertainty for God's people, that at this time, at the right time, uh, Jesus was born. And this was the time that the heavenly host proclaimed that Jesus came to bring peace to God's people, to bring peace in the midst of these uncertain times. And, and what we see as we continue in the gospel and continue in God's word is that God is still bringing peace to his people in uncertain times because of what took place in Luke chapter 2. You see, Jesus, as his name is promised throughout the Old Testament, Jesus, as we see his name praised in the New Testament, Jesus brings peace to his people. And he brings peace specifically at times of great uncertainty. And if you are a follower of Jesus today, you understand this because we today, we live in very uncertain times. I mean, you turn on the news at any given point in the week, and what do you see? You see stories about global pandemics. You see stories about world wars and the outbreak of wars and all the things that are leading to war. You see on the news shortages of food and gas. You see a skyrocketing prices. You see talk of great economic recessions. You see economic crises in nation after nation. And perhaps you've decided, as I for the most part have, then not to turn on the news. <laughs> Because you know that's what you're going to see, and you just don't want to see the same old thing over and over again. It's rather depressing. But you can never turn the news on again and still know that we live in times of great uncertainty. We have uncertain futures. Our finances aren't certain. Our health certainly is not certain. That The health and well-being of our loved ones is not certain. And we may start out the year thinking, well, this is going to be the year. This is going to be when everything goes well. We're, we're going to have a better year than last year. It can't be any worse than it was last year, only to find that it can be worse. We're not promised tomorrow. We live in times of great uncertainty, and yet it's in the midst of this uncertainty that our Lord Jesus, the Prince of Peace, speaks to us through his word, where we are reminded in Romans chapter 8, that we can be sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. For from the love of Christ, from the peace of Christ, nothing can separate God's people from you. And so friends, my encouragement to you today that the encouragement I receive from God's word is this. Whatever you are facing, whatever you will face, it cannot and it will not separate you from the love of God and the peace of God that comes to us through Christ Jesus our Lord. And friends, that is a fact worthy of our praise. 
Well, we don't receive comfort this morning as God's people because everything's going well in our lives, because everything always won't go well in our lives. Well, we don't receive comfort this morning ultimately because because the surgery was successful or the, the scan came back clear. I was reminded of this years ago by a friend of mine who was a, a surgeon who since has now gone home to be with the Lord himself. And he was doing a minor procedure on me and he came in to, to pray for me. And as he prayed, and I was I was praying with him, but I was listening to what he was praying, he, he began to pray something along the lines of, now, Lord, I, I pray for my brother Richard, and I pray for this surgery to be successful, but even if this surgery is successful, he's going to die. Whether I'm successful or not, one day he will stand before you in judgment. And so, Lord, I pray for his soul. I pray that he truly indeed knows you. And I pray the surgery will be successful. I looked at him. I said, Bill, do you, do you pray that for everybody? He said, I do. I get some odd looks sometimes. But, but he knew that his life calling as a surgeon to, to use these, these hands and this gift God had given him, that, that all of his work was temporal. That, that even if the surgery was successful, it, it was temporal. Friends, do you understand this morning? That the greatest operation, the greatest success that any of us can ever receive is a, is a heart transplant where, where God gives us a new heart, a believing heart, a, a heart that trusts and follows Jesus. And that gives us not just a, a temporal peace, that, that gives us an eternal, everlasting peace. I understand that we are in uncertain times today, but there is no uncertainty with our God. And He has promised us. That if we will trust in him, we will know this peace. A peace that Jesus gives in uncertain times and a, a peace that we see he offers to unrighteous people. Which is the second point there in your notes. Jesus offers peace for unrighteous people. One of my favorite parts of Luke chapter 2 is this section we now get to where the, the shepherds receive this word from God where we've had this, this angelic revelation come to Zechariah, a priest, to, to Mary, a young virgin, to the people who in their context, in their day, they, they wouldn't have been considered unrighteous. In fact, Zechariah as a priest would have been revered. All indications from the scripture are that, that, that Mary was a, was a good, believing young Jewish girl. She would have been honored in her context and culture. But shepherds? In our context, you get your little Christmas cards, and the shepherds are in really clean clothes. Sometimes we have little shepherd boys there. When we have our, our nativity scenes, the, the shepherds are very polished, and, and they look like upstanding parts of their culture, but that's not who shepherds were in Jesus' day. Now, what we find here is that shepherds in this community, they were, they were dirty, and they were unclean. And what I mean by unclean was not just that they were dirty from being with these animals and essentially living among these animals. They were then deemed unclean by the culture they lived in. And so as we've gone through various sections of the law in the Old Testament, you know that the, that the Scripture tells us a lot about what it means to be clean and unclean. And in this context, in this day, they would have been seen as unclean. And in fact, it wasn't just because they lived among the animals. It was because they were they were viewed at times as being very dishonest people. 
of being liars just by nature of the profession they were in and how they normally operated. And one commentator I read said it this way, shepherds were despised by the good, respectable people of that day. Uh, according to the law, shepherds were under a ban. They were regarded as thieves. The only people lower than shepherds at this particular time in Jewish history were lepers. And so they, they lived out in the fields. They were they were unclean according to the ceremonial law. They were despised among the people of their day. And yet, who's, who is the revelation given to about the birth of Jesus? Who, who receives the invitation to come and witness the birth of the King of Kings? It wasn't the religious authorities in Jesus' day. It wasn't the the priests. It wasn't the kings and the royalty of his day. It wasn't the Caesars. <laughs> no, it was the, the lowly shepherds that the angel comes to and says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That, that phrase, all the people, that this invitation is given and is extended to those who would have been considered the, the lowest of their day, the great sinners of their day, the unrighteous of their day. The angel says, this good news of great joy is for all the people. And that includes you, shepherds. And I think this is a, a needed word for us today because I found myself in conversations from time to time, one just recently, where I'll talk to someone about the gospel. Sometimes it's just a simple invitation to church. And I met with a response that's generally along the lines of, well, I, Pastor, you don't, you don't understand who I am. You, you don't I, don't, I don't think God wants me in church. Or you, you don't understand the things I've done. I think I'm a little too far gone. And friends, I'll remind you with what I remind them. No one is so far gone that God's sovereign hand cannot reach. No one in your life, in my life, is so far gone that God cannot save them. You this morning Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, whatever's going on in your life that maybe nobody else knows about in this room, God is powerful to save. And we are reminded here in Luke chapter 2 with a fitting reminder that when Christ is born, the very first audience that surrounds him are those that were considered to be the most unclean and the greatest sinners of their day. And it's not just here. I mean, think about the ministry of Jesus that we'll study as we walk through Luke's gospel. Think about the accusation that's so often hurled at Jesus. You don't see accusations in the gospels that, well, I just can't believe he spends time with people who are so righteous. I can't believe Jesus... All he ever does is spends time with the religious leaders. Now, what is the accusation so often hurled at him by the religious community? Doesn't he know who these people are? How dare he spend time with these people? I mean, thank, thank goodness that's, that's not who I am. 
I'm far more righteous. And so you, you get the picture here. They're, they're looking at going, well, look at, look at me and how righteous I am. If, if he's a teacher of the law, if he's, if he's really sent from God, he should want to spend time with me, not hang out with these people. Doesn't he understand that just to be with them makes him unclean? And you come to Luke chapter 5, just a, a few chapters down the road from where we are. What do you see? You see Jesus approach the, the most unclean person of his day, a leper. A leper they would put in their own community. They, they would separate them far away from all of us who are ceremonially clean. And what does Jesus do? He touches the leper. He heals the leper. Not long after that, he goes to Matthew's home. Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew would have been viewed in his day as a great sinner by his community, especially the religious community. And yet here, Jesus is in his home eating with him. And, and what do people say? Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus responds this way. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And of course we know as we study God's word, that, that means he's called all of us to repentance. Because there's none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who pleases God left to himself. There's no one who perfects the law. And so Jesus here is making a statement that we all need to come to repentance. We read in Romans chapter 5 that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And friends, every single one of us was born a sinner. We don't wear it on our arms like the leper, but we are unclean according to God's word. God's word says all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. And yet, God reminds us that he demonstrates his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, unclean, lost, unrighteous, Christ died for us. And so we see a picture of this. Even in the shepherd receiving this word, the shepherd being invited to witness Christ, to, to praise God for Christ, to experience this peace that comes through Jesus, that, that we too are extended this invitation. The, the reason that so many in our world, the reason that perhaps some of you this morning, so many don't have peace and they're struggling and they're looking for it through so many different things. Maybe that's why you're here today. Maybe you're trying to fix it. And maybe you thought, well, if, if I just start going to church, that'll make things better. Well, friends, walking in this building, that, that's not what makes it better. Remember one of the first things I was told as a follower of Christ. You know, being in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. <laughs> but no, the message that you hear, that's what's significant in this room this morning. And the message is this, that you can have peace in your life if you will get off the throne and bow your knee to our Lord Jesus. If you will repent of your sin, turn from it. Stop pursuing it. Take it off the throne. Stop worshiping those things in your life that constantly call your attention. Turn from those and trust in Jesus. He says, if you will do this, you will be saved. And that all who call on the name of the Lord 
will be saved. And then you can experience this peace. And that doesn't mean you won't have conflict in this life. It doesn't mean you won't have suffering in this life. It doesn't mean you won't have trials in this life. But what it means is that you will have everlasting, eternal peace. That you indeed will be saved. Friend, do you know this peace this morning? And the people in your life know this peace this morning. Because what God calls us to do is not just to respond to this good news, but to share this good news with others. I've put a tool throughout the sanctuary this morning. You'll find these in the windowsills when we wrap up this morning. It's a simple little booklet. It says, Step to Peace with God. Some of you have seen this. Some of you have read through this. And I say simple. I mean, this is it. It's it's very small. But, But what this little holdout has in it is steps to peace with God. It's a very clear explanation of the gospel that I've shared with you this morning. And it's a great resource because you can take something like this and and this can help you start a gospel conversation. I I so often encourage you to tell others about Jesus, but I I know the hesitancy there for so many, including myself, is, well, where do I start and what do I say and what if I say the wrong thing? And so I found resources, tools like this to be very effective. I'll tell you how I use them, and I'd invite you to do the same thing. Is that you can simply go to a friend, family member, coworker, and just say, hey, if you don't mind, would you read this and let me know what you think about it? Now, I was at church on Sunday, and the pastor kept talking about peace with God. And I don't know about you, but when I look around the world today, I see a lot of people don't have peace. <laughs> I'd really like to know your thoughts on peace. Would you read through this and just tell me what you think? I've done that many times with people. I've given them resources and tools like this, and it's it's a great catalyst to just start that gospel conversation. And so we've got plenty of these around here. I'd encourage you to take this. Again, I'm not saying take this and, you know, stick it under every windshield wiper in the parking lot, probably especially here, but, but, but use it as a tool. Use it as a conversation starter because, friends, I think you know this, but I'll state it. People are desperately looking for peace today. And God has given us the answer. I mean, if if you had the cure for cancer this morning and you were surrounded by people dying of cancer, what would you do? I think you would share the cure. And the truth according to God's word is we have something greater than a cure for cancer. We have the cure for the cancer of the heart that everyone is born with, and we have the opportunity to share it. And I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to pray for people who don't know Christ. Pray by name for them. And watch and see as God moves, because he is in the business of bringing people to peace. And we see that very clearly in this passage. The last thing I want to point out, point three, is that peace with Jesus then leads us to glorify God and to praise him. Notice here the shepherd's response, verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. You notice that phrase has already occurred in Luke. We see it often. He he wants to make sure we understand the details that, that when God speaks and God moves, people respond, and they respond with haste. They got on the ball. They wanted to see Jesus. And so they go and they see Christ. They tell Mary and Joseph about this message that they received. And then Luke records what the shepherds did as they left that nativity. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had 
heard and seen as it had been told to them. And so the picture here we see is that they celebrated the good news and that they shared the good news. I think one of the interesting things here is that uh, they are there with this flock. Uh, likely this flock is going to be going to the temple. There are many indications that this is around the time of the Passover. And can you imagine what it would have been for these shepherds, these likely new believing shepherds to deliver these lambs, these sheep to the temple who had just witnessed the Lamb of God? Them delivering these lambs, these sheep that so many would use as a, a sacrifice looking for peace that would not be lasting peace. And yet they knew what it was now to have lasting peace. Because they praised and they glorified God in response to this message. They knew what we know and can know. The promise of Jesus in Luke 14, 27. Peace I leave with you and my peace I give to you. And friends, this is a peace so much greater than what the world offers. And I'll remind you again that the world is desperately looking for peace today. The agency of this so often that people think of in the world is the United Nations. And what I find interesting is that there in New York City, directly across from the headquarters of the United Nations, there is the United Nations Plaza. And it's a small park, but the, the central attraction in that park is a towering monument. It's a granite wall. And on that wall, carved into it in 1948, is this inscription. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And underneath it simply says Isaiah. Because it's a quote from the prophet Isaiah. But if you know that quote, it's in Isaiah 2, you know that that's just the middle part of what Isaiah says. I want you to hear the entirety of what he says. Isaiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up their sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. There's a reason that in United Nations closet, this is Isaiah, not Isaiah 2, because I don't think they want people to look this passage up. Because this passage says that the peace so many are seeking in our world today, it only comes through Christ Jesus. And he indeed is the Prince of Peace. He indeed is the one who brings everlasting peace. Friends, do you know that peace today? Do those around you know that peace today? My encouragement to you is to believe this gospel truth and to share this gospel truth with others. I want to leave you with this, an encouragement to share it with others. I realize there are in your life people that perhaps you've shared the gospel with many times. 
and perhaps you've grown weary in sharing it. Perhaps you've just kind of stepped back. I want to encourage you to step in and lean. I want to encourage you to pray every day by name for people in your life who don't know Christ. I became a Christian when I was 17 years old as a freshman in college. One of the people that God put on my heart as soon as I became a Christian was my father. My father was a great dad, but my dad, he didn't know Jesus, and I knew he didn't know Jesus. And so soon after becoming a follower of Jesus, I began to share the gospel with my dad. I would leave little booklets like this all over the place for him. I would talk to him about my faith. I would talk to him about his faith. And what became clear in all of those conversations is that he wasn't saved, and that he didn't know Jesus. I grew weary in sharing the gospel with my dad. There were very tense conversations that we had with one another. And so God just impressed on me the, the summer between my junior and senior year of college just to, to continue sharing with my dad, but to, to make it a goal to pray for my dad's salvation every day. And not because it's some formula, not because it's some genie in the bottle, but just for my heart alone that, that I just pray for my dad every day. And so I started doing that. I had a prayer journal and at the top of that journal was dad's salvation. And every day I would get on my knees and I would cry out to God for my dad's salvation. A year went by and my dad wasn't saved. And so I just kept praying and kept praying and kept praying. And I'll never forget about two weeks before Sandy and I got married, I was in the car with my dad, we were driving across town, and my dad looked at me and said, Johnny, how long have you been praying for my salvation? Honestly, when he said it, I thought he was mad. <laughs> but he went on to tell me about how he had given his life to Jesus that week. How God had brought him to a point of brokenness and repentance, and my dad was saved. I had the wonderful opportunity not long after that I hadn't been baptized since I'd become a Christian when I was 17. And so I had the opportunity to be baptized with my father. And as you know, my dad died in April of 2020. My dad, he left me a lot of things, a lot of lessons. He was a great dad. But I'll tell you the greatest thing he left me was the security of knowing that he had peace with God through Jesus Christ. That he had came to a saving knowledge of the gospel. I have comfort today because I know where my father is because he trusted in Jesus. Friends, do you know where you'll be? And do you know where others in your life will be? Don't give up. Pray for them. And friend, if you've yet to trust in Jesus, don't wait and don't delay. God promises in this word that today, not tomorrow, today is the day of salvation. And so we invite you today to trust in I'm going to invite you to do that right now. I want to invite you to stand together as I pray for us and as we respond now to God's word.